You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 76 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for December 2019, and I'm your host, Bart Pushots. Um, this is always a bit of an odd show because we're recording, you know, we record at the start of the month after the Who's News we're talking about. So we're recording in 2020. I'm continuing to, you know, write the wrong date on everything. Um, but we're talking about the last month of 2019. And to join me for that conversation, we have Nick back with us. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Good to be back. Pleasure to have you on, as always. Um, you're you're my nearest neighbour in this conversation, because from here on in, we are doing some serious globe spanning. Um, from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, in the wonderful nation of Canada, we are joined by first-timer Charles Edge. Hi, Charles. Hey, Bart. Um, I'm actually in Minnesota, which is oh. in the US, but close enough. Um, it's uh, cold here as well. Why did I think you were Canadian? <laughs> Uh, because I'm nice, right? Well, you, you are, <laughs> but for some, for maybe I, I obviously picked something up wrong when we were together on Chuck Show because I was convinced you were Canadian. I'm sorry. Close enough. It's uh, it's an honor to be thought of as Canadian. That, uh, <laughs> stereotypically got, speaking, that, that right is a very around. Canadian sentiment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> since since you're a first timer, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself a little more detail in a moment. But I just want to get the last voice in. So you're you're the you, I got the side of the Atlantic right. So you are indeed in the continent of America, and then joining us from the complete other side of the world on the opposite side of the Pacific Ocean. We are also joined by Alistair Jenks from New Zealand. Hi, Alistair. Hi, Bart. Greetings from the future. Oh, yeah, you're well in the future. So we're talking about December and January, but you're already into Sunday, whereas it's still Saturday for the rest of us. And it's almost lunchtime. It's almost lunchtime. Oh, I've just had dinner. It's Uh, it's actually not nice today. Oh. Um, So, Charles, this is your first time on the show. So do you want to let the listeners know where else, you know, what else you do in, in the Apple world? Oh, sure. Um, I guess my day job, I am the director of the marketplace at Champ, uh, where I run mostly the research and integrations teams. And then in addition to that, I have uh, I am a co-host of the Mac Admins podcast. So that's more geared for people who professionally manage large fleets of Apple devices. And then I have another podcast on the history of computing. And I think we're at, on about episode 75 of that and that's just whatever weird random stories that we want to tell about the 1940s and on in in computer science history oh i didn't know about that one i'm gonna have to give that a listen that sounds fascinating no thanks no i mean i I, (laughs) I wish i could say it was fascinating (laughs) i'm a history buff and i'm a computer buff why not combine the two perfect yeah yeah definitely gonna give that a listen (laughs) So there will be links in the show notes to all of that. Um, So with that, let's get stuck in. So before we get into this month's big stories, uh, we have five main stories. I just want to quickly run through some follow-ups to things we've talked about before on the show. Um, It's some time ago now, but Apple had sort of said they were going to stop working with Imagination Technologies. They're a UK-based GPU company, and that pretty much 
killed imagination technology stock when Apple made that announcement, but they seem to have um, kissed and made it up because they have just signed a multi-year licensing deal. So Apple are going to continue to use their tech, continue to pay them for their tech. So that is a very big deal, I would imagine, for imagination technologies. Um, we talked a few times now about the Checkmate jailbreak. Um, last time we mentioned that there was, you know, the inevitable jailbreaking tools had become available based on the vulnerability. Um, now we know that Elcomsoft are touting that they have added extra functionality into their iOS forensics toolkit based on the Checkmate vulnerability. Um, they're a for-profit grey hat hacking group. Well, sorry, a company that sells hacking tools. Apparently only to reputable governments, but anyway. <laughs> uh, is, is reputable government an oxymoron? Well, I guess all <laughs> reputations are a reputation, I suppose. Truth. You know, have you no manners? <laughs> yes, they're all bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked uh, quite a bit in the last show about Apple's challenges with various authoritarian or authoritarian-leaning r- regimes around the world. Um at that time, the whole Crimea thing had just happened. So since then, the European, a few members of the European Parliament have joined the chorus of people asking Apple to put Crimea back as being part of Ukraine instead of part of Russia. Um, Apple TV might get banned in Russia if it gets too popular because they've passed laws that if you basically, if your TV is too popular and you're not half Russian owned, then you're not allowed to be in Russia anymore. That's all getting a bit ick. Um, Apple then removed a chat app called Totok uh, over concerns it was being used by the government in the United Arab Emirates. Basically, the UAE banned just about every chat app, and then they allowed that one. And everyone was like, uh, I think that might be a government spying app. Uh, so Apple and Google removed it from their app stores. And uh, needless to say, the co-founder of the app is very cranky about this and would like it put back, please. So we shall... And yet they left TikTok. So... Yeah, I know. It's... Yeah. Anyway, that is what it is. Um, Apple's, Apple continues to obey the law in countries regardless of what other people want Apple to do. And then Apple Card has actually had quite a busy December. Uh, 6% cashback instead of the usual 3 for most products sold through Apple.com for most of December. That's now in the past, unfortunately, but hopefully plenty of Americans got good money back. Uh, Apple Card's interest-free two-year iPhone payment plan has gone live. You get 0% interest as well as your 3% cashback, by the way. So that's that's pretty good. Um, uh, they have then started to push this monthly plan through ads in the Wallet app, and that has made people rather cranky. Um, since well, none of because this is it a... breaks Apple's own guidelines about advertising with notifications, doesn't it? it well, it's not a notification so much as it's... It's in the wallet app. So when you open up the wallet app, there's a thing they're saying, hey, would you like an Apple card? Um, I think I think it's a blurry line there. Oh, no, it is. I see why people are cranky. Um, I I would be too, but I haven't... Well, we don't even have the option of an Apple card, so... Kind of, Neither. Yeah. Um, and retailers apparently have to pay extra to accept Apple card because it's apparently a premium card. And this is a thing that the credit card industry do to get money out of retailers... I had no idea this happened, but I more have the story. And apparently all credit cards are broken into premium or not premium. And apparently if you get like a platinum card, whatever, it's premium. And therefore you're worth more because you'll buy more. Therefore they charge the retailers more and the retailers are very cranky about this. 
Um, yeah, that's def- definitely a thing here as well. And I think it should be a bigger uh, outcry over it because it it's not a level playing field in that you know, I, I use a credit card for most purchases every day if I can because it's just simpler mm-hmm. and I've got Apple Pay on the credit card so I can just you know tap my watch and be gone. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work in smaller retailers and the reason why is because they can't afford those fees. But there shouldn't be any extra fees for using Apple Pay. There's only extra fees based on the card itself that you're putting into Apple Pay. Yeah, but here Apple Pay is on credit cards only. Oh, okay. So in this case, it's not just the credit cards have fees. It's that there are two levels of credit card fee. There's expensive credit cards and cheap credit cards. I don't know if this is a US only thing. The whole charging of fees is is a big thing here. Um, That you know, if you go to a you know buy a a candy bar from a small retailer, Mm. they won't take credit cards. Interesting. Whereas if you go into a supermarket and buy the same candy bar, they do because they swallow the fees. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I... that is how Visa and MasterCard get paid, right? They they don't take it from you and I, the user of the credit card. They take it from the people they provide the money to. Mm, but That's... the banks also charge for debit cards, and yet everybody takes those. So there's obviously a substantial difference in the fees being charged. There must be some difference in the fees being charged. Um, now, credit, of course, is is more dangerous. It, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one why there should be an asymmetry there. Mm. Yeah, I can, as someone who used to have a company that accepted credit cards as, as a form of payment, um, we did pay different rates to, as an example, American Express than we did to Visa. And then there were different types of Visa cards where we ended up with an extra couple points. Um and I know that in the U.S. at least some of the uh, some of the stores or, or companies that accept cards they have older technology where they're still paying an additional couple points on top of that for different types of cards. But um, but it was always on us, and we weren't allowed by contract to charge extra for the different types of cards. We just had to process anything that came in if if we accepted cards, unless we were outright saying no you can't use that type of card yeah i can sort of see how it makes sense that you definitely don't want the fees passed on to the end user but it does mm-hmm. it does seem like the notion that if you if you can afford an apple card then it should the shopkeeper should be charged more it's like why yeah all those points that you get or cash back you get someone's paying for that right <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And that seems to be the, the not the credit card company, but the poor shopkeepers, which I guess is fine if you're, you know, a Kroger or something big. But not if you're, you know, Alistair's coffee shop down the street. So, yeah. I would go to Alistair's coffee shop. He sounds like he'd make excellent coffee. <laughs> oh, how little you know. <laughs> <laughs> we We don't have coffee Every- over IP, so... Uh... Yeah, every time. Although there is a an RFC for that, right? Uh, there is actually the it's there's HTTP code. It's like three hundred two. I'm a teapot or something. Right. Yeah, that was one of the April first RFCs. It um, just proves, doesn't it? The uh, the the Apple um, credit card thing. It just just proves that um, it's not just customers who get ripped off by credit card companies. No, it's, it's everyone in the transaction. Who, yeah. who has to accept them as well. Yeah. Mm. 
And I guess in the modern world where people are are using less and less cash, the thoughts of not accepting cards is getting harder and harder. But then again, you do have this line in the sand where you can say, well, we'll take debit, but not credit, I guess. I mean, in, in the UK, though, that would be that would be suicide if you, if you weren't prepare, prepared to take mo- almost all the different payment types. You'd uh, people would stop using you. Well, over up until very recently, it was either Little or Aldi would only take debit. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that okay. changed about a year ago. But for for most of the time that I think it's Little have been in Ireland, they only took debit, and they did fine. But obviously they came under some sort of pressure because there were big signs up, we now accept credit cards. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. finally. Um, I guess you have to do, be doing what most of the market is doing. I, I guess. Yes, yeah, I you have so. to compete. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, jumping on to some notable numbers before we get into the more substantial news. Um I'm going to sort of fly through these because ultimately I think they're all telling us the same thing. So I'll quickly fly through them and then we can have a quick discussion around them. Um, so Apple shares hit a record high on the first day of trading in 2020. Uh, according to CounterPoint, Apple took 64% of total global smartphone profit, 34% of revenue, if you're curious. Um According to a company called Wave 7 Research, 90%, more than 90% of smartphones activated at all the major US carriers over the holiday season were either Apple or Samsung devices. So basically, those two companies are the only companies really in the game. Uh, Sensor Tower say that the App Store had its best ever day on Christmas Day with uh, spending hitting almost $200 million. And IDC say that Apple increased their Q3 shipment of wearables, so Apple Watch, AirPods and Beats, by 200% year over year to 84.5 million devices, which gives them 35% of the global wearables market. Um, And related story, uh, Tony Sakinagi says Apple sold $6 billion worth of AirPods in 2019. So this time last year... Apple had to issue a wee thing saying, by the way, we're not going to make our earnings estimates. Sorry about that. And now we're starting 2020 with all this news. What a difference a year makes, huh? 84 and a half million devices in one of your sidelines is not bad. No, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it is just an estimate, even if it's out by 10%, that's still fine. Yeah, how many companies would give their eye teeth for those kind of numbers in any product? Right. I mean, how many bits of Apple will be Fortune 500 if they were on their own? <laughs> Most, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think there's... And, th- sorry, Charles. And that's, that's in the same year that uh, that Google ended up buying um, buying their own kind of wearables fitness trackers, right? Remind me again, because that obviously didn't sink didn't, in all the way. Didn't Google buy Fitbit this year? Someone bought Fitbit. You're right. It must no. You're, you must, yes, that is ringing a bell now that you've said it. So obviously they do want into that market. Yeah. It seems like every hackathon I go to, there are people. Yeah, Google bought Fitbit for two point one billion dollars, um, which might explain why every hackathon I go to, there are people with accelerometers of different types trying to build their own trackers. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there's money wants. in them. Their trackers. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I, I, 
I sort of I I wasn't sure I, I don't I try not to include too many notable numbers in one show, but to me it just seemed that all of these numbers together are actually the one story, which is that Apple have really had a good 2019 and they've continued to grow in all the right ways. Um, they seem to be building a sustainable business. They're doing okay. Yeah, but it's not just that they're doing okay, right? It's that they've also, um, like, their strategy is paying off. It's it's like they, they made the right bets and they're they're being rewarded for it. You know, the, the, the switch to wearables, the switch to services, it seems to be paying off. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. pe- people are keeping their phones longer. People are buying, you know, phones less often. And yet Apple are still doing well. The App Store is still doing well. So that that's sort of, you know, it's it's working out for them. Okay, um, then we have some quick legal stories to digest. Um, the Vernet X case will go on forever and ever and ever and ever, or maybe. Um, Apple have asked the US Supreme Court to have a look-see. We will have to wait and see whether or not the court take Apple up on that request. Apple have then quite, it's very rarely actually that in this section of the show notes we say that Apple sues someone. It's under Tim Cook, it's generally been the other way around where Apple are getting sued, but Apple tend not to be particularly aggressive. But in this case, they are. So Apple are suing a chap called Gerard Williams, who was an Apple chip designer, and he left to form Nuvia, which is a new chip company that recently went public to great news. Uh, Obviously Apple feel that he is in some way breaching their IP by setting up his own company so it will be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, Apple and other tech companies are asking the EU to stop self-driving patent abuse. Um, Okay, hopefully that works out for them. And Apple have expanded their lawsuit against Corellium. Uh, They're now including DMCA claims in the case. So this is a company selling virtualization software for iOS, theoretically to help security researchers. um, And developers. I've used that that tool and I quite liked it, so I'm sad to see it go. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I guess the, the special security researchers iPhone will help the security industry, but it probably won't help developers as much or... Does test flight do everything you need these days? I don't think anything does everything you need, but we've all figured out how to work around it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it's good actually to have um, insights from someone who's deep in the weeds, um, because I know there are lots of APIs and things, but I have no idea how good they are, like, you know, how, how effective they are, etc. Uh, the thing I liked about Corellium was I could fire up what amounted to a virtual machine of an iPhone and I could access the raw file system. So even though I'm not talking to the raw file system through an app, Mm. um, sometimes it helps to understand what's happening underneath the APIs that I'm communicating with, if if that's fair. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Apple, Google and Tesla were then were named in a lawsuit, um, basically alleging underage labor in cobalt mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, the claim is that Apple, Google and Tesla knew this was going on. Uh, again, Apple are fighting that. So we'll have to see how that works out. And then finally, Apple are being sued by a Dr. Joseph Weisel from the New York University School of Medicine because he says he invented AFib detection in the way Apple Watch does it. And he says he tried to work with Apple, but Apple wouldn't work with him. And so he is now looking for relief in court. So that is another case to wait and see how that develops. Anyone feel any of those need to be gone into deeper or 
to me, they just seem to be wait and see stories for the most part. And I, yeah, I think I, they're sort of more of the same sometimes. Like that last one, Apple are being very quiet about it. So there's been a number of those where somebody has claimed, you know, Apple are not acting in good faith and Apple says nothing in response. And you just wonder, is that because they think he's right and they want to race around and patch up their story? Or is it because there's more to it? Or is it because Apple generally give very, very little media comment? Yeah, I don't know. Just it just seems so familiar this this pattern of um, you know individual or or small company suing Apple over something. Yeah, you're right. They don't really say much, but I guess when we see their response, we might get something out of it. Yeah, if if it ends up getting settled at a court, then you know there was probably something to it. And if it doesn't, I guess we'll see what we see when we see it in court. Um, Certainly a very important feature. So if this guy did invent it, well, he deserves some money, uh, would be my thinking. Um, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. The uh, the only other one that uh, strikes me is the um, Apple, Google and Tesla thing over the underage labor lawsuit. Yeah. Um, are they just aiming at the big the big names? Is, is that... Because <laughs> well, yeah, it right, seems so... to me that almost every... I, every phone manufacturer probably has a hand in this somewhere. Well, it's indirect, right? Um, because the cobalt is needed. I believe it's for the batteries need the cobalt. So Apple are yeah. buying batteries off someone who's buying cobalt off somebody who's buying cobalt off somebody in the Democratic Republic who's a real shit. Um, Indeed. But I expect that's the same for Samsung and many others as well. I just wonder why just Apple, Google, and Tesla, okay, other so than th- their high-profile names. Right, so the suit is being brought by a campaigning organization who's jo- who are trying to raise awareness, so you've hit the nail right. on the head there. Yeah. And if you want something done about it, bringing Apple into it is probably a good move, because they're the company that will do something about it if it needs doing. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and, you know, on the whole, I think we could do with the cobalt industry being cleaned up and it's such an important uh, element for batteries and with the move to electric everything it's going to become even more important so anything that these big name companies can do to clean up the cobalt industry would be most welcome I think There was an interesting story um, that I think I talked with Simon about on Essential Apple about um, uh, that apparently IBM have announced that they're working on some kind of battery technology that doesn't use cobalt at all. In fact, most of the stuff it uses comes out of seawater, apparently. I heard something about um, that on one of the BBC World Science programs, and it, if yeah, they can I mean, make I, it work, it, it, great. Quite possible that it's, just, it's quite possible that it's just at lab level, because a lot of these things are, aren't they? And then they don't actually scale up, but it's interesting. Well, well step and, one you know, is, is getting your science theory in order, and then it becomes an engineering problem, and... You know, yes. that, that's not easy, but it's it's different. It's the next step. But people are obviously working on trying to get away from some of these rarer minerals. Yes, for for all sorts of reasons. Um, cobalt tends to be in places with dodgy governments. Um, yes. But you also have the rare earths are used in a lot of technology as well, and they tend to be in places with governments hostile to America. Um, and that's not <laughs> yes. convenient. I feel like I heard that same BBC program, and I do feel like they were warning against mining cobalt on the ocean floors for 
environmental purposes. Um, yeah, right, okay. I didn't even know I, we did that. That sounds... I think it's a kind of an emerging thing. I, I don't feel like they were saying that we're actually doing it, but we're getting to the point where we're about to do it. And um, I, I, I don't remember exactly, so I don't, I don't want to speak too much out of turn on that. But I, I do remember hearing that, that, that program as well. Right. Well, I mean, again, that sounds like we're better off not having to dig this stuff out of difficult-to-reach places. Yeah. Sounds better in many ways. Yes. Well, I'll just have to wait and see, I'm afraid. Yeah. most of these things <laughs> indeed um just three little quick stories on new uh apple hr and acquisitions um apple have hired a former vox media pr executive zach can to lead their pr for apple podcasts so sounds like we might be getting a bit of a revamp of apple podcasts uh, i'm form- sure we'd all love that <laughs> well i haven't used apple's podcast app in years um but except maybe- for testing whether your feed works perhaps uh, I have an audience for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting about it. I'm just such a such a happy uh, Overcast user. I, I just never even think that yeah, there's something else. Well, the rumours behind this are that they're going to have Apple-generated content. It's working out well for them elsewhere. So, you know, it seems to be a yep. thing now. We shall see. Uh, former so they're H- going to sell advertising to their own content. Like, isn't that the business model for? Never mind. I. <laughs> it's a yeah. It's a business model, but it doesn't seem to be what Apple are going for, right? Yeah. So, but other places like iHeartMedia and stuff that that are making original content, some of them are selling it as part of subscriptions, and some of it is ad supported or. You can get it without ads if you pay for a membership. So the people seem to be experimenting with a lot of different business models for the original content. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see what Apple do with it. Uh, former HBO chief Richard Plepler has signed a five-year deal. So he's not actually an Apple employee, but he is going to be working exclusively for Apple for the next five years. So I guess that's, I sort of have it in here as hires and acquisitions because I'm not sure how else to describe that. But that's another big name in content working for Apple. Uh, and then over in the UK, Apple have apparently bought UK startup Spectral Edge um, and they do photography stuff. So that may help improve future iPhone photography, which is already pretty darn good. So that's... You know, those, those acquisitions for machine learning um, are fantastic. Like I love when I see companies really starting to invest more in buying what amounts to the data sets for the deep learning models. Um, I, it's, it's not often the, the actual algorithms. It's, it's often the, the, the time it takes to train those models. So I'm, I'm really excited about that on a number of different levels. Um, also for the impact it'll have on ML kit for developers to be able to build more cooler features, you know? Yeah, and um, is it the, the I can't remember which of the new Pixelmator products it is. Is it Pixelmator Photo or Pixelmator Pro? But one of them has like really starting to do impressive uh, ML driven edits where you, you can boost. Yeah, Pixelmator Photo is the iPad app, and that has machine learning to apply adjustments, which are actually pretty good uh, in my experience. But just released is a new version of Pixelmator Pro. Uh, on the Mac, and that's got this new machine learning upscaling algorithm, and I've tried it out, and it is amazing. 
absolutely amazing. I took one of my sharpest photos that I'd been um, working on recently, and I upscaled it to three times the original resolution. It's 12,000 pixels across. <laughs> okay, are you printing a billboard? <laughs> it looks great. Wow. Uh, if you pixel peep, you can see the, the issues, but it's amazing what it can do. Right. And, it was and Luminar and... 4 has also done a bunch of this. Like this machine learning stuff seems to be really impressive. I, I would say in my experience, it takes between a month or between a year and two years to get a good model going. Um, so really what you're buying, I guess, if you're if you're buying those kind of companies is kind of the time to market. Like you see something, you see it working and you say, we want that and we could build it, but it'll take two years to, to really prove the model out. Because even if you throw a lot more employees at it, kind of the mythical man month kicks yeah. in and and you can't really train the model faster in most cases. So you're just letting it play out over time. But I, I, the, I love seeing them. <clears throat> Go ahead. I get the impression that a lot of this is aqua hire stuff where they're basically acquiring these companies as much for the human talent as for the IP. Yeah. Um, the statistics, I machine learning is something that reports up through me at, at my company and um, hiring data scientists is practically impossible or let, let me rephrase that hiring the ones who actually know what they're doing you know right um, so buy the whole company and you get the employees yeah <laughs> that makes sense okay so we have five main stories uh, that we'll go through this month um first up will be the new mac pro and it's accompanying display then we have a partnership apple have started with some other tech companies for connected home devices Apple continues to improve their security as third story. Fourth story is, uh, unfortunately, a return to the battle over encryption in the US. And then the fifth story is kind of a fun one to round out the decade. Um, Time magazine gave their top 10 gadgets and Apple appeared three times in that top 10 list. So story number, the first one, we have Apple finally released the new much, much, much awaited Mac Pro and the XDR displays. Um, we knew they would be expensive. Now we have exact numbers and quite how expensive they are. Um, and also the Blackmagic eGPU has been updated so it can support the new Fancy Pants display. Um, most shockingly, I think, of all, iFixit found a product made by Apple that they actually couldn't complain about. They actually <laughs> called it a master class in repairability, which is the exact... Although they did... <laughs> They did great cheese on it, though, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah, I saw that. And I'd be almost be afraid I'd hurt myself if I tried to work on that machine. I have this terrible habit of cutting myself on regular PCs. I can only imagine what I do in the cheese grater. But um, yeah, so it's kind of amazing <laughs> that I fix it, say it's repairable. So when Apple said modular, what they meant was you could pull the top off and swap in and out the bits. And I've I've looked at a whole bunch of unboxing videos and stuff, and it really is like you flip a handle, twist it around, pull the top off, and you just have access to everything without, you know, you, a toolkit of zero tools, basically. Which uh, feels very much like the G4, like the Sawtooth or the, the Blue and White G3 era. Like, yes. um, that's when I got certified to work on, on uh, Apple hardware. And it was so easy back then that... They really pushed the envelope and Apple wanted you to run multimeters to look at different frequencies. These days, it feels like they just want you to send the whole unit back to some some depot and get a new one. 
but but this makes it much more field repairable and upgradable with the exception probably of the hard drive which is still fused directly to the board you know well, the primary drive is but there's lots and lots of expandable drive storage in that case oh yeah <laughs> dollars worth. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess just to sort of, the, I mean, the reason to fuse the original, dri- the, the primary drive is to have the security of the, um, how, what do they call that chip? The something two chip. I forget T2 which T2. T2, that's the one. I was, my brain was saying W2, but that's wrong. Yeah, so the T2 chip is there to give the, so the secure enclave can protect disk encryption. And so you can have the secure boot. Um, that That's why that, primary drive is fused to the board it's not because mm-hmm. they're trying not to be repairable it's because if you want the security they actually have to be paired yeah i listened to the latest accidental tech podcast where john syracuse has got his mac pro and he's been looking around inside it it's quite entertaining to listen to i mean it's probably not quite as informative as some of the videos you've linked but one of the things he said that that just blew my mind is i don't know if you've ever done it but i've got inside a mac laptop before and inadvertently broken a cable and things right. stopped working there are no cables not one nothing it's all buses but everything that... slots in yeah yeah it, it is Brilliant. designed to to be pulled apart and i mean i still remember opening up a g5 tower and expecting i mean i've been a pc user for years and you know this g5 tower in in the university and i had to i had to install a new hard disk in it and i was expecting you know, like any other PC. So I had my whole toolbox and I had my anti-static strap and I was ready to go. And I flipped the handle, took the lid off, used my fingers to unscrew the finger screws, slid the drive out, slid the new drive in and screwed it all back in with my fingers. I didn't use a single solitary tool and I put it all back together again. And I just remember just sitting there in awe going, why why are Dell shipping this garbage when people can ship stuff like this? <laughs> Now, a lot of people on the internets, because that's what people on the internets do, are extremely cranky about the fact that these machines are extremely expensive. And I really, really, really don't think these people understand who these machines are for and what these machines are. These these are workstations. These are machines for people who have immensely high demands. And what really struck me is when you look at reviews with people who need these machines, like professional music producers and stuff, when you watch them review this machine, you understand who it's for and you understand that it's not overpriced. And in fact, the XDR display is an absolute bargain for a fully uh, compliant screen that's fully measured, etc. for proofing video. Most of them are actually way more expensive than what Apple are charging. And so it's very easy to mock it for a $1,000 monitor stand, but it's actually an extremely accurately targeted machine to a market that three years ago, Apple could not be more disconnected from. Like the trash can MacBook Pro could not have gone over like a smellier fart within the pro community. Like they did not think Apple understood them and they were right at the time. And then now that Apple have the pro group inside them, it's pretty darn clear that Apple are on the same hymn. Like they weren't even in the same book, let alone on the same page. And now they're singing in unison with the industry they're trying to serve. So I, to me, this is a really, really 
hopeful for the future that the pro market is not lost. Apple came darn close to losing it, I think, but I, I, I believe they have pulled it back with this machine. What what do you guys think? It feels a lot. Um, go ahead. Uh, um, I, my only observation, really, is that it's quite a big turnaround from where Apple were a year or two ago. Uh, not just on the Pro machines, but on everything that they did. Everything was aimed at the mass market. And okay, they were the expensive end of the mass market, but they wanted to attract in as many people as they possibly could to buy their their goods. Um, and this seems to be aiming at a fairly small group of people, okay, who have a lot of money to spend. But do you see what I mean about it being... Mm. Oh yeah, a, a different price for Apple, really. And as you said, I mean a little bit of what you just said at the end of uh, of what you just said about it. it it's really quite a turnaround um, for the pro end of things that have actually sort of said, "Okay, we're really going to go for it. We're going to go for the people who need, as you say, workstations, uh, and we're not going to aim it at the sort of high end of of professional users." We're actually going to go beyond that and go towards people who want something really, really powerful. I, I just think it's an interesting, uh, not a, an about face. Well, yeah, a sort of about face, really, for Apple. In or the, a you know, form. I mean, you know, I'm thinking well, about the be. excerpt. You could see it that way. Yes, you could see it that way. I mean, at one point, it did seem as if they were completely abandoning the professional end of um, uh, of their user base. But... Uh, Yes, okay, return to form. Maybe that, yeah, that's a fair a fair comment. Charles, you want to jump in too? Yeah, um, it's cheaper than the Lisa was, <laughs> right, 36 years earlier. Um, but it's worth noting that the Lisa so, sold for about 10 grand and they shipped about 10,000 units. Um, but then the Mac, when they released it the next year, they shipped 280,000 units that year. So... You know, um, who's to say that uh, that we're not yet again proving out higher end technology on professional oriented workstations um, in order to to be able to release it to a much a much wider audience later? Well, to, to me, they've left an obvious gap, right? Because they're you know there is a you place mean- between the Mac Mini, not just a place. There is a chasm between the Mac Mini and this Mac, into which a beautiful modular prosumer machine could extremely comfortably sit without Mm. in any way damaging the market for either device. So I love your theory that this is proving the technology in something that they don't have to make millions of, and then they can learn their lessons and then backfill a prosumer device. How big is that market in in that chasm today, though? Well, it's at least big enough for the uh, for the iMac Pro. Is it big enough for the iMac Pro and a Mac Mini Pro? Is the question, I guess. Well, I mean, the Mac Mini and the iMac Pro can both be, um, you know, built to order to fantastically powerful machines. So, if it's power that you want, you can get it. But it's I mean, not I think modular, the right? top end. Yeah, well, that's the thing. What what's missing is one you can open up and and configure yourself. That's the market. They've got the power curve, I think, completely covered. Um, you know, right. the Mac Mini leads up to the iMac Pro, which leads up to them. In fact, overlaps with the the new Mac Pro. What's yeah. missing is 
the people that we all know that had the G3, G4, G5 and, and the 2008 Intel Mac Tower machines who like to, you know, change things around over the years. You know, John Syracuse has just bought the new one because he's replaced his 10-year-old one, yep. which he has been constantly updating. And it's the people who want to do that that are the market who can't afford not that uh, yeah. Johnson or don't need, right? It, it's it's not even about affording. Or don't need. Yeah, and and the other obvious gap in the market is something between the XDR display and, I guess, the iMac. Yes. And the fact Give that they me chose the iMac without a computer. Yeah, the fact that they chose XDR as the name makes me so hopeful that there's a Pro Display HDR coming out for plebs like me. Yeah. Um, there's two sides to that. I mean, a lot of people have said, just give me a monitor that is basically a 5K iMac without the computer. Yeah. But then for years, people have been saying, oh, look at this great value monitor that you can buy. Oh, and it comes with a computer on the back. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. Do you want to buy a fancy display like that to connect to a Mac Pro? Or I a Mac I suppose Mini. there is a class of, well, but if you want to connect that to a Mac Mini, why don't you just buy an iMac? Well, because the iMac means you're you're stuck upgrading your brains and your screen at the same time forever, and that's actually a good screen. A good sure. display should do you longer than your computer. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, my answer has been 5K iMacs. But I would like actually to be able to have a 5K cinema display. And to Mac Minis. I would actually prefer that as a computing environment, but I'm accepting the iMac as the best I can do. And I'm basically having to, well, not having to, I'm choosing to sell them on secondhand and recoup money that way. But it would be nicer if the screen was just independent. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I like the simplicity of an iMac. I mean, at the moment, I have a Mac Mini and a LG 4K display, but I still would prefer the iMac, I think, for the simplicity and the better screen. The screens are second to none in my experience. Apple, like it, that, I think that's the reason everyone wants the, a cinema display to return because the cinema displays were amazing and Apple's iMac displays are amazing. And so it's pretty obvious that if they wanted to, they could sell an amazing updated cinema display. They just don't want to. In touch wood, they will soon. Yeah, like I say, HDR. That's that's. that's I'm counting. You know, it's. I know it's a theory, and I have like less than zero evidence, but it it's plausible, right? Keep cutting myself. <laughs> the other thing that I that occurs to me with the the new Mac Pro is we've also been saying for a lot of years that the vast majority of people can buy just about any Mac, and it's good enough for what you know anyone wants to do. Yeah. And those people who want to do more, um, you like, you know, tinkering around with video or audio or photos or whatever, you can buy slightly more powerful versions, but you really don't need to go to the top end of the consumer Mac lines. And what I think that means is our uh, ability to use the power of technology has tailed off quicker than the technology's capability has. So that Mac Pro goes way, way, way higher than anybody will need it. And what we're dealing with is that chasm that you're talking about is the chasm between what most people use computers for and what they're actually capable of. Yeah. Is it, I think the 
what's missing from both the Mac Mini and the iMac is the ability to upgrade so that the one chassis lasts you a decade. And I, you know, if you're someone who's a pro photographer, but who you know who's making a decent living but not rolling in it, you you actually would much prefer to buy one box and buy it with the spec you need today and then spend a little bit of money next year upgrading, maybe a bit more RAM and a little bit money the year after upgrading a bit of a better GPU and a bit more money another year instead of at the moment where your only choice is you go all in on an iMac that you have to put everything into you're going to need for the next three to five years and then you have to do the same really painful spend three to five years later and three to five years later. And it, it's it. Yeah, it's and, and the difficulty is, Bart. Of course, you, you you're you're paying Apple's um, proprietary cost on everything as well. So, whereas you might buy a uh, let's say two thousand dollar iMac, um, if you could have something you could upgrade, then you could probably upgrade it with stuff that may not be quite as good as the Apple stuff, but is still pretty good, and not spend anywhere near as much. Whereas, where where we're stuck at the minute is if you want that power. You have to almost double the cost of the iMac, which is yeah which is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> if you, and, if and you're you cast trapped, that's and hard. And you can't buy one that's good <laughs> enough today because it doesn't have to be good enough today. It has to be good enough three years from today. Yeah. So you have to overspend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, ten years ago, what, what were we dealing with? Ten megapixel photos that you were adjusting exposure on. Right. And now you've got probably forty megapixels that you're running massive machine re- machine learning algorithms on is quite a different uh, ball game. Yeah, and the GPUs have become way more important than almost than the CPUs oh, to some extent. Yeah, running that Pixelmator Pro uh, machine learning on my little Mac Mini with its uh, integrated GPU. <laughs> it's busy. <laughs> well, you you know, you're blowing the dust out of its fans, you know, give it, give it a good workout. <laughs> so, uh, any other any other thoughts on these new pro end machines? I love mine. Yep. You bought one? <laughs> yeah. I like that I you've been it. keeping very quiet. <laughs> I was just curious what y'all had to say. <laughs> okay. So now that all those of us who are uh, talking from uninformed desire, please tell us from the horse's mouth. How are, how are they? Asper- aspiration, please. Aspiration. That's a good I word. I mean... It's fast. Uh, I didn't get the screen. I'm still using an older screen. Um, but yeah, they're they're great. <laughs> and I've felt that way about every Mac I've ever bought since maybe the Quadra. But the box, even in the unboxing, it looked like quite the event when such a large, large box arrives with Velcro yeah. straps. I, I really need to get better at posting unboxing videos on YouTube. Like, oh, I got a new Apple Watch or I got new AirPods. <laughs> Who knew that you could get, you know, all these uh, all these people watching you unbox things? That's that's a whole new thing I need to get in on. <laughs> well, I mean, I watched a few of them because I wanted to see the innards of the machine, to be honest. So um, I just seen and people like that. When they, they didn't just unbox it and put it on the desk, they cracked the case off and poked about at the innards and it was actually really fun to see just how easy it is you know to lift twist and lift to get the cover off and to see it in Mm -hmm. all of its glory on the inside it's it's immensely well designed like it is just as a connoisseur of design it is a thing to behold 
Yeah, the industrial design's fantastic. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen components numbered on the inside before. So, the, you know, there's some nice innovations, I think. Um, different the G5, slot the bays were numbered, right? So you had RAM slot one, two, three, four clearly labeled, which was great yeah. because you could match the hardware to the to what the OS saw, which was convenient. Yeah, I feel like that's was been... All... Go ahead. Go on, Charles. Sorry. I feel like labeling RAM slots has been kind of common. Um, you just need a magnifying glass to see it, you know, but um, to have them, you know, larger and and uh, and easier to read, I think, is nice. Well, like in a, inside a Dell machine, which is where my work had on, I would spend more time looking than any other brand. The problem isn't that they're not labeled because they are labeled. You're right. It's written there somewhere. The problem is there's 20 kabillion things written on those motherboards. And the labels you care about are no bigger than the tiny labels you don't give a bleep about because they're completely irrelevant to any human being. And it's actually right. really difficult to figure out, oh, is that too, is that that RAM slot or that RAM slot? And so if someone's actually made these human friendly, that's, it shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still printed on the, on the logic board. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like it. Um, I would have to say I only got 32 gigs of RAM. I read somewhere that someone got like 384. I'm super jealous. I already feel like I'm not good enough. Yeah, well, they go to <laughs> two terabytes or something ridiculous, don't they? <laughs> I think yeah, they well, go up to about half. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Of um, RAM, people, RAM. Well, I mean, like, we are, we have Dell servers. <laughs> We we have Dell servers and work with two terabytes of RAM, but their job I in can life. Remember, I can remember inserting memory chips into my uh, um, uh, Archimedes four ten. Oh, uh, Alice will probably remember this, and it was a real pain. And it was four megabytes, and it came in sixteen tiny chips. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay, so you go back a little further than me. I had uh, my my first PC. I doubled its memory from two megabytes to four, and that was from two one megabyte sticks to four one megabyte sticks. <laughs> uh, those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're wondering why anyone would need multiple terabytes of RAM, the answer is virtual machines. When you're when you're basically running a private cloud, you that's what you do. You you buy a machine with many terabytes of dis, of of RAM, and then you mm. run hundreds of VMs on it. Like that's that's why people do such weird things. Okay, I, I must admit, I what I would have been interested to see is the outtakes from some of these people unboxing because I watched one or two of the unboxings, mm. uh, and I'm sure there must have been outtakes where they were wiping the dribble off the top of them because <laughs> 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 they certainly looked as if they were going to, uh, to to dribble on them when they saw them coming out of the box out of the boxes. I mean, I really say, enjoy quite opening. An experience. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy yeah. opening a box for an Apple Watch or an iPhone. I can only imagine what it must be like to open a, a Mac Pro like that or the XDR display. I just like the fact that Apple spend all that time, obviously, designing the box. Probably, probably almost as much time as designing the computer. <laughs> but there's got to be a department of boxes, right? That, that has there to be, be someone's career yeah. in Apple. Because I know a guy... Yeah, I, I know a guy. He used to design satellite deployment systems, and he works in in that team. Um, and he'll never talk about what he does, but uh, he has a PhD in it. So no way. packaging. And it, Gosh. 
it's by no means an accident that an Apple product is easy to get out of its box and most people's other products are not. Quite often I lose the fight to the box where I end up bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Never had that happen with an Apple product. Okay, I'm going to move us on to our second main story and Apple have gotten together with a bunch of other tech companies including big names like Amazon, Google and the Zigbee Alliance to create the Connected Home Over IP project. It's the, about time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> the logic here is that this will be a single protocol that can be implemented by IoT devices made by anyone. And those IoT devices will then work with any voice activated assistant you care to name, whether it be, you know, the Amazon's A lady or Apple's S lady or gentleman or Google's, I don't know what gender Google's one is, um, or the myriad of Zigbee devices that exist. Uh, so th- this is, uh, yeah, hallelujah. I think that, that actually sums it up pretty darn well. And what also Apple did as well, so they, they joined this alliance and they're going to work on this protocol, which will make, hopefully, make it much easier to just buy stuff that works. But Apple also open sourced their HomeKit accessory development kit. So this is code for writing things that are compatible with HomeKit. So again, for Apple to open source that is extremely helpful to people who just want more easy to use smart devices and there's a big focus on security is is the other thing from this alliance so this is the point of this protocol is that people won't have to roll their own they'll be able to use an actually properly designed protocol and get actual proper security to this complete train wreck that is the world of iot um as steve gibson likes to joke the s in iot stands for security but there is no s (laughs) exactly (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, we, all, I, we all want this, don't we? <laughs> hands yeah. up here, I do, yeah, because I, I haven't really jumped into the, the, the IoT water because I'm nervous. And this is the kind of thing that will make me a lot less nervous. So I'm very much hopeful about this. Well, even if you don't care about security, it's the amount of research. If you buy two things, will they work together? Well, maybe if you do certain things and hold your tongue the right way. Right, and sometimes that... buy another hub to make the different protocols bridge to another another device. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's I looked up about four hubs. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm not sort of ready to jump in yet because I don't want to have to spend an age looking at every product in, uh, on Amazon yeah. going. So I already have one of those. So will you talk to that? Because to me, the whole point of this IoT and this connected home is that everything should just work together and I should just be able to magically create these workflows. And that's great in theory, but today the practice doesn't seem to be quite there. I think one of the big limitations as well with uh, with the systems we've got at the moment is that what what you need to do is to be able to ask a device for something. Right. And it needs to just then know how to do that at the moment there's an awful lot of oh you go and tell that device over there that i want this and you shouldn't have to do that it should just it should just know which device to go to and you know hopefully this alliance is going to sort that kind of thing out well that's interesting because technically speaking this probably won't but this will make it easier for that to be possible because what you'd want is you know either the a lady or the s lady to be the brain 
who can talk to absolutely everything without any intermediate hubs. And then the intelligence can be there rather than in the devices. So I guess it, no, I guess it does help with what you want. It just, just makes it possible. Yes, I think it does, yeah. Yeah. So roll, roll on that happening. Yeah. <laughs> and let's hope we don't have a, a story in six months where it says, yeah, they've all decided that they're not going to work together anymore. I see, <laughs> I don't really th- basically, I think, I think there's profit for everyone in having this work. So I think they're all motivated to make this happen. And that that's good. When people's motivations align, things tend to happen. It's when they're kicking and screaming, yeah. it doesn't work so good. But I, I think the incentives line up here. It helps that there's no no clear leader in the market. I think, especially on on mm. the side of the the actual devices that you buy. So there's like Hughes, there's GE, um, especially on the switches that you actually put in your wall side. Um, there's Chamberlain, if you need a garage door opener, you know, there's, I I can think of 10 different vendors that I have in my own house. Um, and then on the controller side, you know, there's, there's pretty much Amazon, Google, Apple. Um, and it helps that not one of them commands 80% of the market. Um, so that we don't end up like with what happened with Sony making their own DV tapes after that whole market had decided to, to standardize on a, on a type. You know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Any any other thoughts before I jump us on to story number three? Okay. So our third story then is a, a collection of little stories, which I think together, um, are worth talking about. Is that Apple is continuing to slowly but steadily move security of their platform forward. Um, I, my, we're going to be talking about this tomorrow, Charles, on your show. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, one of the, one of the things is Apple used to have the luxury of being a small target because very few people had Apple products. Well, that luxury is gone and has been for some time, and yet Apple haven't had their Windows XP moment, and that's really because they have been slowly and steadily improving and improving and improving their security. And it just continues to march on. So this month, all of the following happened. So we have iOS 13.3 came out, which brings support for NFC-style hardware authenticators, so your YubiKeys and that kind of thing. Apple have released a new platform security guide, which helps regular folk to make the most of all the security features on your iPads, your iPhones, and your Macs. And that's that's like superb that that guide is out there to help people use the security in these OSs. Uh, Apple have expanded their bug bounty program. So now instead of it only covering, I think it was just iOS, now it covers all of their OSs and they have, uh, you can get $1 million if you find a uh, powerful enough hack. Um, meanwhile, we've also learned this month that Apple's... Um, addition of privacy into Safari is working because it's actually affecting the sale of ads in the advertising market. It's like people, advertisers get to charge less for Safari users because they cannot spy on them. So they can't bill for them as heavily, which is superb. That means the tech is working. Um, And then we did also have an interesting one uh, where it looked for a moment like iOS was inappropriately using your location. Brian Krebs noticed that his iPhone had his little location icon coming on when he wasn't expecting it. And there's a bit of a mystery. And then 
you know, Brian Krebs didn't say anything outlandish, but of course people ran with it and went towards, leapt to all sorts of ridiculous conclusions. Anyway, after much humming and hawing, we, we know the answer. Um, the U1 chip, which does this new um, Bluetooth, uh, what is it? Not low energy, the other one. Uh, ah. Ultra wideband. Thank you. UWB, that's it. Ultra wideband. That the frequencies for that are restricted in some geographic areas. So for legal reasons, the phone has to check where it is before it enables that chip, because otherwise it could be blasting out illegal RF emissions. Um, and so there's actually nothing untoward going on here. It just isn't. It, it wasn't obvious why, and so Apple have said they're going to make it obvious what's going on, and you will have a toggle to disable UWB and hence get rid of this location. Look up, and the important thing is actually they weren't sharing the location with anyone. It was purely, am I in a place where I am legally allowed to use this frequency of radio waves? Yes, I am. Power up. Otherwise, no, don't power up. So it turned out there was nothing nefarious, but the internet lost its ever-loving mind briefly. I think the biggest signal from that story for me was the fact that the location icon showed up when it did this. Yeah, that doesn't telegraph Apple's approach to security. Then what does? That's a really good point, Alistair, because they could have so easily not put it up there. But no, if anything, no matter how legitimate it looks for your location, up comes the icon. That means it's wired in at a very low level in the OS. Yeah. So that that alone would have been um, cause for me to think, oh, hang on, there's got to be a good reason for this. Otherwise, they would have hidden it. Yes. Yeah, if they were being nefarious, they wouldn't put an icon up saying, hello, look at us being nefarious. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it the wasn't... fact that a lot of those wires go through the T2 chip, so if you're yeah. not encrypted, you can't actually activate any of it. Um, I, I think it definitely precludes any nefarious behavior um, on that side of things, you know? That's a really good point, actually. Like, Apple have hardware-level protections on a lot of the iOS stuff, and that's why the T2 chip coming to Max is such a big deal. It's bringing that same level of hardware security into into the max which is wonderful mm-hmm. uh, for completeness i shouldn't mention that it wasn't a perfect month security wise for apple because that's sort of how these things always go um another feature in ios 13.3 was new screen time restrictions to allow parents to better control who their kids communicate with which sounds great turns out it was a little bit buggy and the kids with a little bit of ingenuity can bypass the controls so this doesn't grant any, you know, this isn't hacking the phone as such. It's just that the limitations were not as limiting as they should have been. And Apple have promised they will fix it. But that's a bit embarrassing when you're, hey, look, great parental control features. Oopsie daisies. Um, <laughs> and then there was a weird thing where someone tweeted an encryption key and Apple used the DMCA to ask for it to be taken down. And then Apple changed their mind and asked for the tweet to be put back up. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's... I, I just don't know what to make of that, actually. So I mention it because it happened and it made the internet very, very cranky briefly. But I I don't know whether I care. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I don't either. Um, anytime a customer uh, of the company I work for uh, posts a script or a program that they write on GitHub and they accidentally include their keys or a password, um, mm-hmm. a friend of mine messages me. And I don't know, you know, all 20,000 of our of, of the companies that we work for and mm-hmm. the, the thousands of people that work at those companies. Um, but I, I typically 
uh, go track them down and and help get help get the situation ameliorated in some way. But um, tweeting out a, a key by accident is um, totally that sucks for the person. Well, see, this wasn't a key tweeted by accident. So this was this was apparently an encryption key that allows for jailbreaking. Oh. So hence Apple DMCAing it. And basically this, I think, as I understand it, this goes back to the to the uh, checkmate vulnerability to the check ring jailbreak. So in theory, this would allow people to get at the, the, the encrypted firmware on some of the chips. Mm-hmm. Which means that, so Apple sort of have had it both, not both ways, Apple have had two layers of security. So... Apple designed their firmware to be secure anyway, but they also encrypt it so you can't even see it. So it's security by security and security by obscurity. And now with the checkmate check rain, the security by obscurity layer is gone. And I'm not sure that's making Apple very happy. And so this seems to be a case of Apple initially deciding they're going to try to use a DMCA to keep their obscurity obscure. And then the internet lost its ever-loving mind and then they backed off. And the the whole checkmate thing is really about what's not encrypted before you put your passcode in, right? Because that's what they're trying to bypass. Well, no, that's um, the Alcomsoft product features are basically the what you can get mm-hmm. out while the phone is still encrypted because none of the checkmate stuff gets around the secure element, uh, which is fantastic. That's it working as it should as a hardware protection. But no, what the checkmate mm-hmm. stuff is about doing actually is it allows you to bypass code signing on boot if you're tethered over USB to a computer. So it allows you to boot unauthorized OSs, which basically means that if you do know the passcode, you can jailbreak your phone. Got it. Um, Which is really useful for security researchers and potentially developers. Because you get that full file system access, which you shouldn't normally have, because you can run a, a hacked version of iOS that does allow you these things like a root account and SSH, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, any other thoughts on that? You know, he um, just seems to be one. Oh, sorry, Charles, go on. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I know the guy that, that uh, spearheaded the security guide, um, and he said there were like over a hundred people involved in composing it. And it was a really big feat. So if, in case any of those people happen to be listening, special thanks to all of them. <laughs> I will Cause it double, turned out great. I will double triple agree. It is actually really hard to make a document about something so complicated, so simple and human friendly. Right. Right. There are, the, the number of words is not high, which is why it's so good. But the amount of effort to distill something complicated into short and understandable is amazing. It's it's really easy to write a confusing guide. It's really hard to be clear. Short, understandable, and correct. Yes, yes, I, I suppose. Yeah, short and understandable, but utter fiction is easier, I guess. <laughs> I speak from experience. Um, Nick, I think you were trying to jump in. Uh, uh, only that um, security is obviously going to become more and more and more of a of a uh, a section, if you like. I think in our discussions over over time, and that um, it's it's constantly a balancing act, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, Apple improving security, and well, not just Apple. Everyone trying to improve its security, but Apple probably trying harder than most. And uh, uh, everyone trying to trip them up. 
effectively. Yeah, cat and mouse game, but Apple are being a particularly effective cat at the moment. They are. They are, which is gratifying, isn't it? It's it it's, it's good to know that they're, they're... It just seems to me that whenever there is a... Um, like the, the uh, iPhone 11 location requests thing, whenever there's anything that looks even slightly out of order that there's lots and lots of people who are ready to it's a little bit like you know the the kids in the in the uh, schoolyard saying oh that person who knows everything yeah he's got something wrong <laughs> and they slightly uh, set themselves up for that right because they go out of their way to say that privacy matters and then there's this thing that looks like maybe it's leaking location data well of course people are going to jump oh absolutely i mean don't, don't get me wrong I, I sort of understand it it's just that we, we're, yeah it's this this inherent thing about humans where we like to see people who uh who, who get on their high horse for very good reasons we like to take <laughs> them down a peak sometimes yes, <laughs> yes. And, and schadenfreude <laughs> we literally have talk. a word for it yeah. Well, I was going to say, look up tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy tall syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome. Oh, I've not come yeah. across that. Okay, I'm going to jump us on to a very much related story because while security is about protecting you from bad guys as well as protecting your privacy, encryption is very, very much about protecting you. Actually, it's very much about protecting you from bad guys and protecting your privacy, so it's extremely similar, actually. Um, but there has for many years now been a tension between the tech industry who wish to encrypt things and governments who wish not to have anything encrypted. And that battle has hit a warm spell in the US in December of 2019. Um, I think this was mostly triggered by the US Senate holding hearings and those hearings going a bit... Mm, mm. So anyway, uh, the the U.S. Senate's Judiciary Committee had hearings where they called in Apple and Facebook to talk about crypto. And um, he had wonderful quotes like Lindsey Graham telling Apple and Facebook, we will impose our will, um, you know, basically threatening regulation over encryption. Um, Facebook basically were asked to put off their end-to-end encryption and they basically said no. Uh, Apple went in and basically explained exactly why we need encryption for the protection of everyone. It's not about enabling criminals. It's actually about protecting regular folk from criminals. It's literally the opposite of enabling criminals. And interestingly, the Defense Department came out on the side of encryption. Uh, I love the headline the Mac Observer put in it. Defense Department, we need that encryption you want to break. That's Which because the true. Defense Department has DARPA, so they actually have smart people working for them, unlike the senators. <laughs> yes, and the, the really, really annoying thing is one of the few senators who understood this three years ago was a certain Lindsey Graham. He actually, at one point, said he changed his mind because experts convinced him with evidence, and now he's changed it back, and no, he didn't give any sort of justification for doing a 180 on the right idea, which is extremely infuriating, where a politician absorbs logic, changes their mind, and then for no apparent reason snatches defeat from the jaws of victory and goes back to lunacy. Excuse me while I vent for a moment. Um, (laughs) So this pressure basically continues, I guess, is sort of what this all boils down to. This is not over, and I think we'll still be talking about it at the end of 2020 and probably the end of 2021 and the end of 2022. Um, I don't know if there's much more I, I... I, I I want to say about it. Anyone else have opinions? I, I did wish? like that that 
that last one about the Defence Department. Uh, guys, national security, just in case you wondered, would be at risk if you do this. Hello? <sighs> yeah. Is somebody so vital to the... Um, um, pardon any um, aspersions here, but the, the centralness of the military to the American, at least political psyche, they've got to listen to them, surely. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, TOR is still funded in part by the U.S. Navy. And huh. so... <laughs> That's what it, like they, they were influential. Yeah, they were influential in creating TOR to protect they wrote diplomats. Tor, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I none of it really. I, I mean, I love the fact that modern crypto is transparent. Um, the algorithms are mostly open source. And it's like, well, here it is. Break it if you need it, you know, but you can't because it would take, you know, inventing quantum entanglement uh, string theory type stuff to do that, you know, from a speed perspective. So yeah, get over it. You can't like, put the we, math we, back in the bottle. Right. Um, yeah, Rivest, uh, like RSA, right? Um, going way back, like they let it out of the bottle, like, you know, um, so it's it's done. Like, sorry. <laughs> you can make it so that no law-abiding citizen can protect themselves with encryption, but you can't make it that bad guys won't use encryption because the maths exist, the maths works, and the maths is known. It cannot be unknown. So it's the bad guys are going to have crypto. The question is, can we protect ourselves from criminals or not? And I very firmly believe we absolutely bloody well should be able to. I think it, um, in, in many ways it's sort of summed up in my mind by the phrase, uh, look, we just want to be able to spy on our people. Whoops, <laughs> did I say that out loud? <laughs> that is kind of what it boils down to, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we're all. I think we're all the choir here. I, I get the impression that there is no discord Indeed. among the panel. <laughs> I am going to jump I us under, on to a. Oh, sorry, I, Charles. I, I I guess I understand what they want. It's just we've moved Impossible. beyond that. But right. they want a unicorn, yeah. so. and we all want yeah. unicorns. Yeah, they want a backdoor for the good guys only. Of course they do, but mm -hmm. I want many things. I can't have them. Okay, so let's finish. Let's round out. the Our fifth story is a fun story. So Time Magazine listed their 10 gadgets of the decade. And Apple made it into three of those 10. The iPad, the Apple Watch, and the AirPods. Um, oh. I will disagree with some of the other things on the list, like the Tesla being a gadget. I don't know how much money these people are making if a Tesla is a gadget. I will grant you a Tesla is cool, but I'm not sure it's a gadget. Um, did but, they use a Chromecast before? Did they use a Chromecast before they put it on the list? That is also one to quibble with. <laughs> the, the Raspberry Pi, I love that it's on the list, but the Chromecast, I do indeed quibble with. And the Switch and the Echo, I liked. You know, um, I have about twelve Echoes in my house, so um, you know. Well, I mean, Raspberry the smart speaker, the, the, like Amazon deserve kudos for making the smart speaker from theory into a really omnipresent reality. So th I think that's well earned. Yeah. 
And I would also say the iPad is very well earned, the Apple Watch is very well earned, and frankly the AirPods have been a stunning success. So I can't disagree with the three they did choose to include. Because they, you know, can't innovate anymore. My bleep, um, as, as someone at Apple might have said, I, I think those really are three fantastic products that Apple released in the last decade. I think the thing with the Tesla is that there's so much tech in it that while you might think it's a car, it's, it is actually a gadget that happens to have four wheels and a bunch of motors. My mum says dad drives yeah, I, I, I refer to my I refer to my electric car as a gadget, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my, my dad recently bought a Tesla and mum does, does constantly refer to it as his iPad with wheels. So I guess that's on the top ten list twice. <laughs> the thing is, would you would you um, would you count the Mac Pro as a gadget? Because if you would, that's more expensive than my electric car. <laughs> so <laughs> that is true. That is true, and it probably has more computing. Well, one hopes it has more computing power. I guess. Um, yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we round out the show, just a few quick stories to run through. These are little things that made the news that are worth mentioning. But as I say, anyone, feel free to stop me in any of these if you think we should dwell deeper. But these to me seem like pretty straightforward. Um, just FYIs, really. So the morning show is up for a multiple Golden Globe Awards. Um, it seems Apple do know how to make original content. Thankfully, we weren't sure. Now we know. You can now subscribe for Apple Arcade for a year at a time and save yourself $10 in the process. So $49.99 gives you a year of Apple Arcade. New customers can get six months free Apple Music with Shazam. Um, If you are a user of the mobile web version of iCloud, you can now get to your notes, your photos and your reminders through that mechanism. So I guess if you're on someone else's phone and your own phone... I was going to say, hands hands up who knew that existed. Well, actually, me because if you're if you're on someone else's device, you can't use the apps. Yeah, true. So if you're traveling with friends or whatever, and you're out of battery, it's actually genuinely annoying that you go to iCloud.com and it tells you just launch the app. It's like I don't want my dad's notes; I want my notes. Oh right, no, I didn't know that existed either. Yeah, so there you go. It's just gotten better um, because now it's added notes, photos, and reminders. You can already get your calendar and your email and stuff, but now you can get more stuff through the mobile version of iCloud.com. So that's good. Um, As well as giving us the shiny new security guide, Apple also gave us a new website explaining their health research stuff. Um, So that's another interesting one for people to have a look at. Uh, You can now play Apple Podcasts on your Amazon Echo device by asking Alexa to kindly play whatever it is you want from Apple Podcasts. So again, that's tying us back to our top 10 gadgets of the decade. Is that here as well or is that just America? I don't know. Um, Because I know there were issues originally with Alexa because they they have separate servers for the UK and they have to be programmed separately, so... I don't know. I guess, well, I, I guess if you don't have it yet, it's got to be in the works. I would hope. Dell Mobile Connect, which currently allows you to see into your Android devices. Apparently, Dell have announced that in a future version, you're going to be able to do this with your iOS devices. I am i didn't know this was possible at an API level. Charles, you might be able to shed light on that. Do do the um, MDM APIs allow for this kind of thing? Um, 
DMDM APIs would allow um, mobile device management tool to enable system extensions, I guess. Um, but these would be, uh, I assume, system extensions. And I, I haven't written any code like this specifically. Um, Apple does have some of the handoff stuff available through APIs, obviously, you know, because you, you see information oh, updating yeah. on your Mac that you entered on your iOS device for various apps um, that aren't Apple apps. Um, but I, I've never written any code for that, so I, I can't speak too much to it. Um, I don't think um, I, I'd read some of the stuff and I don't know how much of it is actually handoff and how much of it is actually Dell Mobile Connect um, acting as a semi replacement for handoff in certain circumstances. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, given how locked down iOS is, I'm just surprised by this announcement. But I can't imagine Dell are making it up, so they must have worked with Apple to make this possible. I guess. It just struck I'm me sure as they got some one. working code. Whether you know it works outside of their walled garden will be a whole other story. <laughs> That is true. You, you Certainly the Dell app is blocked in the App Store, and then we'll know that they didn't use proper APIs. That's one way this could turn yeah. out, I suppose. And and anyone who's done lots of packet captures while while their various handoff things are happening, it can be a total, like, there's a lot of stuff going back and forth um, over different network connections, you know? Yeah. So um, it, replacing that or just supplementing it by bridging like handoff to um what's samsung it's the samsung side side sync i guess is what that's called um but but it seems like they're really trying to make it where oh i can use my lenovo or my samsung and and still have handoff type functionality you know yeah i can see why if you had a dell laptop you'd want this so i'm, I'm hoping if they're as good as their word because it does sound useful um that's it. It just struck me as odd that it was possible. So I'd be very curious. Yeah, I can't wait to hack it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Apple News is going to work with ABC News on the 2020 presidential election campaign in the US. Um, and a big part of that is that Apple News will co-host the 8th Democratic Party debate on February 7th. So that will be interesting. Apple Pay, we talked last month about Apple Pay coming to London's transit system. Well, Apple Pay is making its way to a bunch of US and Canadian cities, including Philadelphia, San Diego, Boston. Uh, we know it's coming to Penn Station, New York, and we also know it's coming to the Washington DC Metro. So that will be very convenient for people who use public transit in the US, such as it is. And then the last story just kind of made me chuckle. Um... There's a Swiss TV company who sell Apple TVs as part of their cable offering, and they have gotten permission from Apple to sell a custom remote that doesn't suck. So <laughs> I actually tried to see if they would sell it to me. They will not. You and millions of other people, Pat. <laughs> so this is a Siri remote. Uh, this is basically a remote for the Apple TV that looks like a sane remote. Maybe someone will release this as a third party that we can buy in a physical store. But anyway, for now, it, it's it's possible and it exists because this Swiss company managed to do it. But we can only look with envy at the moment. Well, you can actually pair third party remotes with Apple TV. So I'm surprised nobody's actually marketing something as intended for that purpose. Well, see, like I have seen only... them, right? 
but they tend to be like a traditional TV remote with, you know, the problem is Apple have too few buttons, but the ones I've seen, the third party ones, have the inverse problems, like 50 buttons. Whereas this Swiss one is actually the happy halfway house I genuinely want, where it's like way simpler than a typical TV remote, but actually useful. Yeah, but I mean, I can pick up my remote for, I don't know, a DVD player that I don't use anymore and train the Apple TV to use it. So the Apple TV itself is adapting to random (laughs) remote controls. So I would have thought that some companies, and maybe they have, and I haven't seen it, would develop a remote whose sole purpose in life was to be the one that the Apple TV learned about. Yeah, and when you look at the industrial design on this Swiss remote, you know, Swiss are known for good design. Well, this lives up to that stereotype. And it seems I have yet to come across a third-party remote as well-designed as this. And I really, really hope we do soon. You know, I might be the only person in the world who doesn't really have a problem with my Apple TV remote. <laughs> I don't have I don't a either. problem with it. I'm just <laughs> far from in love with it. So I, I have a Logitech Harmony. I never use it. Um, it's mostly for the automation with the IR blaster um, so that yeah. I can tell it to do things. Um, and then my daughter uses, we have a steel game controller mm-hmm. and she mostly uses that because she loses the Apple TV remote. Um, but the steel can't really do everything that the Apple remote can. I feel like there's two or three things and I can't remember what they are right now that, right. that the steels can't do. But I just always have it upside down. If I could just, yeah, have I, it. I wonder whether one of the reasons that I I don't have any problems is I live on my own, so it, it always stays the right way up, and I always know where it is. Ah, that, I, okay, so yes, in in our house there is a constant. Where is that teeny tiny black thing in the dark sitting room? Followed by why isn't this working? Oh, this isn't the touch sensitive bit. The touch sensitive bit is under my palm. Let me turn it around. <laughs> Yeah, much much arguing in our house about that bloody remote. And whatever way the capacitance works, my better half's fingers seldom work properly on, on Apple touchpads. So oh, right. it's follow it's usually a bunch of swearing followed by here, you take it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there will be much more the harmony in our house if there were an alternative remote available. Anyway. Um, that brings us to the end of another month's worth of Apple news. There will be detailed show notes at let's-talk.ie with links to all of the stories that informed my thinking in this month's worth of Apple news. While you are there, there are large blue buttons in the sidebar under the heading support the show. I want to thank everyone who does and has supported the show and to invite those of you who've been thinking about it to perhaps make a New Year's resolution to support the show. Uh, we do not have advertisers. The I sort of I don't like the idea that I could be perceived as having a conflict of interest. So I have so far succeeded in my podcasting existence of being advertiser free, and I would like to keep that up. And the reason I am able to keep that up is very simple: you guys, the listeners, have chosen to support the show, and I am eternally grateful for all of you who do so. Be that by simply telling your friends about the show, tweeting about the show, rating the show in your podcatcher of choice. That is all support. It is all appreciated. And then, of course, there are those of you who back the show in a more practical, financial manner. Um, Patreon allows for recurring donations, which are great because bills come in every month and the Patreon payments come in every month. And I take one and I apply it to the other and they pretty much balance out these days, which is exactly where I want to be. So I really appreciate that. 
And then the PayPal donations are a great way to help me with those occasional non-recurring costs like, you know, the lovely mic I'm talking into now, the lovely boom arm that is suspending said mic in front of my face, a whole bunch of software that goes between me talking into this mic and you guys listening to a podcast. That has all come through the PayPal contributions over the years. And thank you to all of you who've pushed that PayPal button. Then there are affiliate links for my fellow nerds who need things like virtual machines and stuff. DigitalOcean link, um, affiliate link, and a hover.com affiliate link for people who need to register domain names. So all of that is at letsastalk.ie. Thank you to everyone who supported the show in any way whatsoever in 2019. And thank you in advance for everyone who supports the show in any way in 2020. Now, the other people who support this show are those people who generously give of their time to listen, you know, to come talk with me once a month about Apple stuff. So, panel, thank you very much for giving up a chunk of your Saturday slash Sunday. And I will get you to let the listeners know where they can find you. So, Nick, where do you hang out on the internets? Uh, you can find me very occasionally on Twitter. Uh, my uh, username's uh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Uh, and you can hear me on the Essential Apple podcast fairly often. Yes, indeed. And here fairly often, which I really do appreciate. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, that's all right. I in- always enjoy it. Thanks, Bart. Charles, uh, do you want to give people the links to those podcasts and your day job, if you like? Oh, sure. Um, I'm at cryptid.com, K-R-Y-P-T-E-D.com, and I just post any of the podcast episodes from other things there, as well as um, little tidbits that I write about, uh, typically nerdy. Um, And day job, uh, Jamf, that's J-A-M-F.com. We do uh, mobile device management, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for having me. It's it was, been a blast. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. And, um, I, I am looking forward to, to chatting to you again within, within the next 24 hours on, on, on your, on your <laughs> mic instead of on mine, as it were. Um, right. And Mac admins. <laughs> That'll be yep. fun. We're looking forward to it as well. Excellent. Uh, Alistair, where can people find out your other stuff you do? I like to make it easy for everyone. You can go to my landing page website, which is zkarj.me, and everything's there. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? 
check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network.